Open your Bibles to the 25th chapter of Genesis. We are continuing our series in Genesis. The first uh, 11 verses we looked at last time. The first 18 verses really had to do with the death of Abraham. But we're going to pick up verse 18 again. Just read that verse again. And then um, finish that section and then move on. We're ready to look at Jacob and Esau. So we're making progress. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. It's a great day. We love you and adore you. We love studying the Bible. We love fellowshipping with one another. We thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. And I pray that uh, we'll leave today with some things in our hearts and our lives that will really help us as we seek to live for you day by day. Thank you for all who've come. Bless each one and their families. Bless the parks as they uh, move to Fort Worth. We will miss them, but pray God's richest blessings upon them. Thank you for the blessing they have brought to us in the years they've been here at First Baptist Belton. And we just pray now that you'll bless us in our time together in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 25 this says, giving the descendants of Ishmael. So we're about done with Ishmael for now. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt as you go toward Asher. And, and here's Ishmael and his, his, the sons of Ishmael, and they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. And we've been over that before, um, because earlier in Genesis it said that Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man, and that turned out to be true, and his children lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. <clears throat> and notice that word related to them. So that continues to this day, does it not, in, uh, in, in our modern world. Well, what we want to look at as we close out the life of Abraham, and we'll read more about Abraham as we move along, but he's now dead and buried in the tomb of Machpelah with his wife, uh, Sarah. And so there are four New Testament passages that highlight the faith of Abraham. And I've listed, uh, I think all of those are listed over to the right in your in your outline. First, Romans chapter 4. You can look if you've got your Bible or listen, whichever you prefer. But in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we read about the faith of Abraham. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We've already seen that back in, was it 18, 15, somewhere in that, in that vicinity. If you'll leap forward to verse 18 of chapter 4 in Romans, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, over and over and over again, believed God's promise. I will make of you a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous, will be as, as many as the sands of the sea or the stars in the sky. And I'm going to give you a, a son to you and to Sarah. And through this child, the world will be blessed. And that ultimate blessing came in the person of Jesus. Now, Abraham 
it says, believe God, beginning back in Ur of the Chaldees, when God said to Abraham, or Abram at that point, get up, get all your stuff, your family, everything, and go. Just go, and I'll show you where to go. Abram believed God and left, and we followed his life all the way to his death in, in, in chapter 25. So it goes on to say with verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, meaning he's old. He's well beyond childbearing age. And certainly, of course, Sarah was well beyond childbearing age. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him was written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we read again of the faith of Abraham and it was that faith that by which God justified Abraham. Declared right with God. He, he was declared righteous by God because of his faith. Not because of works that he had done, but because of faith. Leap forward to 2018. You and I who know Jesus have been declared righteous in his sight. Does that mean we're perfect? That's not what it means. It means we have been declared right with God because we have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have trusted him as our Savior and our Lord appropriated for ourselves what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. Therefore, you and I are declared right or righteous in God's eyes. Like Abraham was, so are we. By works, no, not by works, but by faith and faith alone. So let's go to the second New Testament passage of the morning. And that's James chapter 2, verses 20 to 24. James chapter 2, verses 20 to 24. Now, listen and watch carefully. As we read this and we say, wait a minute. Is James saying we're saved by works? No. We're going to see what he says. Look at verse, well, verse 18 of chapter 2 in James. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, notice, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, James is saying, if you have faith, there will be deeds that follow. Not saved by our deeds, but the deeds follow our faith in Christ. So someone um, who says, well, I, I love Jesus, but they live like the devil. James would say, nope, nope. You believe there's one God? Good, the demons believe that and shudder. So he's saying, just believe 
in God alone is not sufficient. It requires faith, commitment to Christ, and then having placed our faith in Christ, works follow. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. They're working together. In other words, James is emphasizing the fact that saved by faith, works are a result of that of the of our faith in Christ. So he said an example of that is in the life of Abraham repeatedly, but he offers the example of uh, his offering of his son Isaac, his, his willingness to offer his son Isaac on the altar. And uh, believing that if indeed he killed his son, what would God do? Raise him back to life again. Raise him back to life again. Even though at Abraham's point in life, there hadn't been any resurrections. So with no historical background to refer to and to say, well, like God did with so-and-so, there, were, there hadn't been any resurrections yet. But he believed that God would raise his son from the dead if he were obedient in taking the life of his son as a sacrifice. So it is, it is astonishing and amazing, but we see faith and works together in the life of one who has been declared righteous in God's sight. Look at Galatians chapter 3. In the 7th verse, Galatians 3 verses 7 through 9, Paul writes, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. All right, that's you and me. Faith, we're now children of Abraham. I love it. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This this passage is part of the reason why Paul was so very, very popular uh, um, among the, 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 the legalists of the Jewish nation. Right? Oh, they just love this passage. No. No, not. They did not love Paul. They didn't like this message. But Paul is making it clear. It is by faith that we become sons and daughters of God and that we become children uh, of Abraham. And he reminds us that God said, all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham, all nations of the world. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in this passage, we see, we see Jesus, we see Christ. Now, one more passage, and then we'll, we'll move on. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, I doubt that surprises you that we would end up there. Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 8 through 19 talk about Abraham and his faithfulness. So think about Abraham now because we're going to leave him for a while. We're going to walk on with Isaac and Jacob and Esau and others. So Abraham, these last extensive words we'll have to say about Abraham for a while. So Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 through verse 19. First of all, in verse 8, we find that faith is obedience. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went 
even though he did not know where he was going. I've always been utterly amazed by when I back out of the driveway with my family in tow and maybe we're going to dinner, but nobody's decided where we're going yet. I've learned to not let that happen too often, but uh, we may end up at McDonald's when that happens, but I'm backing out and I'll say, which way do I go? I don't like to say that. I like to know which way I want to back this way or back this way. I want to know our destination. So what we've done as a family now is when we all go out to eat as a family, which is about once a week, I have the names of all the family written, uh, written on a piece of paper in a, in, a, um, in a cup. And I will say, okay, pick, I'll let one of the kids pick one out. Oh, that person gets to decide where we're going to eat. And no arguing, whatever they say, that's where we're going. If I want to put parameters on it, I will put parameters on it. Like no McDonald's, no no this, no that. But I want to know where we're going. I'm kind of that way. Well, God said to Abraham, go. Now, I'm packing up my animals and packing up my tent. And I'm saying to God, I'm ready. Which way do I go? And God just said, Go. East, west, north, south, go. And I will show you. I've always thought that is utterly amazing. The faith of Abraham in just going. And you know, he had so many animals and so many things to carry. It's like turning an aircraft carrier around in the middle of the desert. You know, if you're going this way and God says turn around, it takes a while to get everybody turned around. The faith of Abraham. How did I get off on that? All right, faith is obedience. Faith is sojourn. Look at verse 9. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger or a sojourner in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So faith is obedience. Faith is sojourn. Then in verse 10, faith is hope. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham saw what he should not have been able to see physically, but he saw that that city whose foundation and architect and builder is God. He could see it and he had hope. Verse 11 Faith is confidence, verse 11 and 12. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, when when God said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Was he talking exclusively about Jews? Or was there something beyond that? He's talking ultimately about the children of faith, those of us who place our faith and trust in, in, in Jesus. So faith is obedience, sojourn, hope, confidence. Faith is longing. Look at verse 13. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So that longing in our hearts for the country to which we are headed. Now, I know all of us love life, and we, we want to stay here longer. There's things for us to do, family to be with and bless. But honestly, aren't there some times or even some days when there's this longing in your heart for that ultimate home where we're headed? Maybe it's even caused you to say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And, and, and you know it's there. You, you can, in your heart, your mind, you can see it. You know you're going there to a place that Jesus himself has prepared for you. And there's that longing in your heart. And maybe if we all live long enough, there are more people that we know over there than there are over here. And we reach a point of longing to be with them and to see them again. And so maybe there are those moments, those times, those days when you, you're saying, Lord Jesus, are you sure you want to leave me here any longer? And, and the answer to that is yes. That's why you're seated in here today. But there's that longing. I'm anxious. I'm excited. Isn't that, you know, it's kind of like, what? I tilt this way today. Oh, man, I don't want to die anytime soon. And we tilt this way. Lord, come on. I'm ready. It's just that. That's, that's the walk of a Christian. And the older we get, the more we feel that. And the more, the more that we experience that. For me to say those words to our young married department, they would probably... Look at me like, what is he talking about? But I'm not talking to the young married department. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You feel it, you experience it. And so that day is coming when we'll be with the Lord. Uh, verse 17 and 18, faith's sacrifice. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Faith's willingness to sacrifice. In the last verse, verse 19, faith's reasoning. Look, look at this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death, that near-death experience. God, he received him back. So Abraham reasoned, had no historical basis to go on that said, oh, God's resurrected others, he'll resurrect Isaac. None whatsoever. And yet Abraham believed this is the child of promise. And if he dies... God will raise him from the dead. Friends, that's faith. That is amazing faith. So we depart from our friend Abraham 
with the remembrance that we come to Christ only by faith and we live for Christ by faith. Now, look at verse 19 as we begin our journey with Jacob and Esau. These verses are the lead-in to chapters 25 through 36, or 26 through 36. This is the prelude to chapters 26 to 36 of Genesis. The unusual birth of Esau and Jacob. So I want to read verses 19 through 26 to begin with. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac, parenthesis, the child of promise. The parenthesis isn't there. I'm putting it in there. Okay? To remind us, the child of promise. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Armean. We've already been there and looked at that earlier. Now, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which means hairy. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob, which means heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Hmm. Go back to verse 20. Isaac was 40 when he married Rebekah. The baby boys were born when he was 60. 20 years. 20 years. Wow. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? Isaac did not seek a surrogate like his father did. He engaged in passionate prayer. He believed God, and God answered his prayer. After 20 years of barrenness, Rebecca is pregnant. If I just could insert this word about prayer, don't give up. If you're praying for someone, don't give up. Maybe you're praying for a child or a grandchild to come to know Jesus. Don't give up. Your prayers may have spanned years, maybe even decades, but don't quit praying. Don't give up. God listens to our prayers, and we trust Him completely. The pregnancy of Rebecca is tumultuous. Now, 
Many of you ladies know a lot about what that means. Us guys do not, except by hearing whatever it is that you've said to us. But this is a tumultuous pregnancy, and she feels as if her womb is a battleground. She wonders why, and she prays. And the Lord answers her. Twins. That's what's going on, Rebecca. Twins. They will, you, you will, they, those two boys will father two nations that will oppose each other. The, the traditional primacy of the elder child will be reversed. This is God's plan, not due to anything you or Isaac caused. Tradition does not determine grace. Tradition says Esau is first. Even though by only a few seconds, Esau is first, the eldest. He, is pri he has primacy over the younger brother. That's tradition. But tradition does not determine grace because God had another plan. God chooses Jacob even before the twins are born. The firstborn is redheaded and red-shaded and hairy. And his name is Esau, meaning hairy and the heel grabber. Jacob is born second. And another word for, uh, that can describe Jacob, it would be an idiom for deceiver. Okay. Yeah, we're going to see that in Jacob's life more than once. Amazing the power of names, isn't it? Well, in verse 25, let's, let's look at quickly before we stop. Again, verse 25, the first to come out was red. Esau, the second is Jacob. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Different they are. Esau and Jacob are very, very different. Those of you who are parents of two or more children, has it ever surprised you how different your children are even though they had the same mother and the same father? How astonishingly different they can be. I've marveled, we only had two, but I've marveled many times over how different they are. Not only are Esau and Jacob different, but Isaac and Rebekah make it worse. Esau loves the outdoors. He's a hunter, strong and confident. He remains very hairy and um, no doubt smells of the outdoors. Jacob was content in the tent. Today it might be the outdoors kid who likes to ride bicycles or play ball and always wants to be outside and the other child likes to read and maybe play video games and, and they're very different and it's not that one's better than the other, it's just they're different. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Does that mean Esau didn't love Jacob? 
No. Does it mean that Rebecca didn't love Esau? No. The real meaning of the term love here is shows favoritism. Oh, parents, we aren't supposed to do that. <laughs> you have two or you have ten. They're all supposed to be treated the same. But Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored Jacob and it was no secret. The kids knew it and everybody else knew it. Now it'll have consequences. So we're going to pick up there at verse 29 next time. And we're going to read about a stunning exchange. So we'll see what happens next week as we continue our journey with Jacob and Esau. Father, thank you for our time together. Bless us now and uh, may we be uh, faithful witnesses of yours the remainder of this day. Bring us together again next week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See you next time.